welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how's your week been? My week has been pretty good. How about yourself? Good. We, uh, I cancelled all my normal meetings so I could really focus on all the content, kind of polishing for Ignite and making sure my demos run through without crashing and adding some extra stuff to the demos um, based on feedback. We actually did some run-throughs of the sessions with some MVPs. So shout-outs to um, David Warner and Vincent Beret that joined to give me feedback on my like run pre-run-through. But um, it's all looking good. I'm sleeping well at night at the moment. Well, that's good. That reminds me, I'm going to go clear my calendar and pop up some popcorn so for Ignite Week I can sit in my house and watch the live streams. And uh, It must be nice not having any commitments, <laughs> no sessions to prepare for, and travel. <laughs> and walk 18 miles across the convention center. And I'm going to go treat myself to a, some new Nikes this weekend, I think. That's going to be my treat. Oh, there you go. It's been a uh, an exciting week. We've had a few really good wins on the team, or the, the broader graph team, actually, and some wins in the our actual team, too. We announced, and Shiva Prakash, uh, who's in our Bangalore office, is, is the PM on this within our team. We announced the attaching large files to Outlook messages um, and preview for files larger than four megabytes. So in the Outlook service... You've always been able to send attachments that are larger than four megs. And arguably, if you're doing that, maybe you should just put it in OneDrive and put the link in the email. And I think, I forget what they call that feature in Outlook where it does it for you. The Intelligent attachments or something like that? Yeah, something yeah. cloud attachments or something. Um, really, you should be doing that. But there's a lot of scenarios that our partner ISVs and large enterprise companies need where they have to just send the attachments in email just because the way their workers work and maybe not they're not familiar with OneDrive uh, or the you know the nuances of it and so it's been an ask for a long time on user voice and um, our team and at least specifically in our team has been running around chasing pms and trying to get anything with over 40 votes um, committed on our backlogs and shipped and so this was one of the ones that was over 40 votes it was a lot higher than 40 votes and uh, we committed to it in this cycle that we shipped. And yeah, so it's out there in the wild, which is exciting. And so for people who are inquisitive about this, if you go digging in the admin center for exchange in the portal, which is admin.microsoft.com, you can actually go set that limit of how big an attachment can be. So if you don't want this necessarily this bad behavior, you can um, t- turn it off. But now Essentially, this just allows the graph to be able to send attachments like that um, if if needed for whatever business scenario. Apparently, a lot of the scenarios are things like sending giant spreadsheets around. Um, <laughs> and, or, and or giant PDFs, yeah, yeah. Giant PDFs for um, signing, ink, inking and signing. And the, I think the theory is, is that because it goes through the normal e-discovery services, that it, it kind of gets captured as a record. Um, in a way that it wouldn't if it was just a link in an email. So I kind of get it. But um, I'm definitely one of those people that's like, please don't send me emails like that and then destroy my bandwidth on my phone while it downloads. <laughs> well, and I think it's a lot of human behaviors have to change too still. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people running around with thumb drives still, and that always makes me laugh. 
Yeah, and that reminds me, I saw, I don't remember where, but um, you also released recently the ability to get the MIME, the the email attachments as a MIME download or something like that, right, Uh, from the graph. And um, someone had asked about how do I get the size of it before I download it in case it's, you know, something big like this. And and that's yet not yet delivered. And it just reminds me that we're back to, it's almost like SMTP is being re- Hosted onto onto REST and and hey developers don't do that if you <laughs> you know maybe SMTP is good for what you need so we really need to adjust developer behavior in addition to user behavior I think yeah it's true yeah I was I think uh, we're building a sample um, with an external vendor at the moment and um, I actually he's been on the show so Todd Beginsky has been on the show he's building it for us and um, we were talking about the fact that this scenario needs to send mail um, to remind people about tasks they've got assigned to them as a, a scenario of like pre-reading documents before a meeting. And Todd was really impressed that we actually had the capability that on the graph you can use a, on behalf of Flow to call the send API and, and send an email in the first place using the graph without needing things like, um, why has my mind gone blank on... A mail gateway or a mail gateway, SMTP um, relay and all that kind of stuff. There's one, there's a big one in the cloud and I've, I've used it lots. I actually use it in the product I have in the store. Anyway, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the <laughs> service right now. So they don't get a free ad. But uh, yeah, so it was kind of, it's always exciting to see people realize what's on the graph and, the, you know, how deep the capabilities go. So yeah, so that was one bit of huge news. I, I am a big proponent of listening to the community and making sure that the PMs are um, responsible for reacting to that and shipping things. So this one was a, a good one and it was nice to see how much kind of traction and celebration that got on Twitter once we posted it, which is cool. What else have you seen around the traps this week? I have a couple things on uh, adaptive cards, uh, my favorite UI technology since I'm able to write it. Uh, <laughs> the, there was a community call that happened a couple of weeks back, um, and, and uh, there's things moving forward. They have a new technology adoption program, which is what we used to call beta, right, to, to get uh, started on some, some things, and, and there's an update to the website. And, and in addition, I found a community GitHub project that is adaptive cards for Blazor. So for those who are not aware, Blazor is the .NET in the browser technology. That's the part of .NET Core, ASP.NET Core. And so there's a, a M. Michael Koskinen, and another Finnish person whose name I mispronounced. I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, he has this uh, repo that will render the the card using. So if you if you have a Blazor page and you want to show the card, you can do that. So I've already need to dig in on some Blazor. Yeah, I I do as well. But sadly, my life at the moment this week has been SharePoint. So I don't <laughs> think Blazor is going to quite work. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So but yeah, that's cool. Although you know what, I saw there's new fonts for the Windows terminal that could render a box. So I was half tempted to write an adaptive card renderer for Windows Terminal, but that might not have a very wide use case. <laughs> <laughs> I, we just want the Windows Terminal to enable hyperlinks so that if I'm doing device code authentication oh, flows, yeah. that I can just click on a link and launch it and automatically enter the code in. Be like mind blown moment. Yeah, that would be slick. And we talked about that with um, Kevin Gallo in the interview about the budget for their marketing video for the <laughs> Windows terminal they've open sourced. I was kind of impressed at how many uh, PRs they've had from the community 
on that thing. I need to, I don't actually, I'm not running on all my machines. I really need to just put all my machines and probably make a habit of denim at a build. I removed my uh, Windows PowerShell shortcut and I just use the terminal now. So you do. Uh, I yeah, do. I do yeah. the same. With shortcuts to launch NGRAC for the bot and shorts, shortcuts to launch um, Node or Gulp tasks for SPFX. And so a lot of my taskbar is a lot less cluttered with that thing running four or five windows at a time. Or, yeah, four or five uh, terminal windows to various things. So, yeah, it's really slick. We need to, uh, we're going to get uh, Matt Hedinger on the podcast as well, who kind of leads up adaptive cards alongside David Clough, who kind of takes it from a, a actionable messages side in Outlook. And so I need to get both those folks scheduled on this so that we can chat some a, a bit more detail about adaptive cards, because um, it's really, really cool tech. And um, the graph is becoming actually more and more relevant for adaptive cards, which we'll be talking about at Ignite, but I will not disclose that here because we want to really showcase that. Um, David was on the show back in February, so if you want to get an intro back then, but obviously uh, we were we were hyping Build 2019 back then. So now with the uh, with uh, since his interview, both Build and Ignite will have happened. So yeah, it'd be great to to revisit that technology. That's the nice thing about these big conferences is it means there's lots of more interviews we can go do with people after the fact to go a bit deeper than what they get to do in the breakouts, especially on the breakouts for only 45 minutes. It's actually really hard to get your content down to 45 minutes and make it really, really succinct. There's so much we want to show and there's things I'm having to just rip out now because I don't want to rush through it and blow, you know, make people overwhelmed. But um, so there'll be a lot of stuff we all need to do via other channels, I think. That sounds like an opportunity for us to get uh, presenters on and dive deep in their topics. So if you're presenting at Ignite and you wish you had more than 45 minutes, <laughs> give us a shout. There we go. <laughs> uh, and then there were other community calls. There's an office add-ins community call. And there was one um, that was done at the beginning of October. It's actually just after the graph community call. And so the, they kind of do a monthly cadence like we do. Um, and they actually had... Um, a bunch of content on there talking about the Outlook desktop add-in stuff and where they've gone with that and handling things like whether they support shared my mailboxes. And they kind of do a really good job of engaging and in more of an office hours aspect that I think I really want to try and get back to with the Microsoft Graph one as well because I think there's a lot of value in in that. Um, but yeah, the community call was really neat. They have their slide decks up here as well. And um, they were talking a lot about um, the updates they've done to Yo Office and VS Code. And interestingly, Yo Office was me. I built that as a rogue project <laughs> when I was in marketing. And so it's actually really cool to see that actually get legs. And, and that's what inspired uh, Yo uh, SharePoint too, which came like eight, nine months afterwards. So um, it's cool to see that still got legs, which is nice. See, sometimes when I see old code like that, I get scared. Like how bad of a, de of a developer was I back then? Well, <laughs> what well, kind yeah, of like, am I going to find, right? <laughs> how much of that code is still mine versus it all being thrown away? <laughs> to be fair, it was a pretty rough around the edges prototype when I did it. But um, it, was, it got the point across that it was a great way of scaffolding up an office add-in project as opposed to having to do everything through Visual Studio. Well, some of us but, like um, Visual Studio, though. That was before VS Code <laughs> as well. I'm I'm definitely a bit old-fashioned too, Paul, don't you worry. I've been using Visual Studio all week, and it's amazing how many of the features that aren't in VS Code that you just kind of 
you know, live and die on the sword by inside of that. I'm not... I'm not sure if there's VS Code is missing the feature or if they've just changed the keyboard shortcut, then I can't invoke it. And that's what I end up doing. And I, next time I have these gibberish in my, uh, I kept seeing gibberish in my code in VS Code. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Then I finally realized, oh, I'm hitting some keystroke for Visual Studio. And it's not a keystroke in code. So it's just writing a gibberish in my code. That's, that was kind of a, oh my God moment. And then you found something uh, on .NET Core, which I'm having to dive into a lot recently because there's a, a lot of demand for .NET Core. Um, with Graph. And so actually a lot of the demos I'm doing at Ignite are going to be in .NET Core. But you found something specific around JSON serialization, right? Yes. So in .NET Core 3, they... Well, let me go back here. So a lot of Microsoft applications and libraries in .NET Framework and in early .NET Core used the Newtonsoft JSON serialization or JSON.NET serializer. And as part of .NET Core 3, Microsoft wrote their own. It uses some of the new language features, specifically around spans and, and some optimizing memory to make it work more efficient, which is fine. Plus, it's, you know, Microsoft building Microsoft. I totally get it. But there's one difference that Roland Vigelt uh, found. I hope I pronounced that right, Roland. But he, he had a class that had a private setter. And the serialization and deserialization behavior between Newtonsoft and the new system.txt.json was different based on those properties. So it's one of those that you wouldn't think much about it, but um, though I love the way he summarized it. And he said that uh, Newtonsoft does a, it just has to work versus system.txt, which is, you know, if there's a private setter, that's probably a reason. So we shouldn't do anything with that, right? So this is just one of those things that, you, you know, a reminder, .NET Core 3 brings a lot, but it's probably not going to be a, a drag and drop replacement. So yeah, it's not a rip and replace. You've got to test everything still. Yeah, that's a good point. It's interesting. Um, another piece of work that Yina's as a broader team owns in our org is um, kind of looking after our, our APIs that have been around for a long, long time um, on Exchange and modernizing them so that they're easier to maintain and, and so forth. And so they're actually in the process of uh, re-architecting a lot of these things into microservices and in the process moving it all to .NET. And it's been fascinating just to kind of peek into some of these meetings and sit down and listen to the brown bags of um, some of the challenges they had in moving to .NET Core and, you know, things that it was originally written in .NET Framework that they've had to go build the libraries because the .NET Core team, obviously, we knew a lot earlier internally the things they weren't going to go do. And so they've been building these additional libraries and open sourcing them and so forth. And it's been fascinating to see, you know, on such a huge scale, uh, rewriting um, some APIs that are just fundamental to the way that Exchange works internally and uh, seeing those lessons learned. And I actually need to bring up with um, the uh, distinguished engineer that's running that project to see whether we can get someone on to talk about that in more detail because it's really, really fascinating to hear some of the kind of the challenges they have in, you know, porting these things over to .NET Core and, you know, making, making them into... Uh, more smaller microservices so they're easier well they're more testable and yes that'd be great so we'd love to get that kind of insight you just uh you go to a conference and a session like that would get you know six or eight developers so they don't do it right but uh, that's uh, yeah so right uh, yeah it's funny actually i was listening to um chris johnson and andrew connell and i say cj um on the microsoft cloud show 
and they were talking about like tips for Ignite. And one of the tips they said was pick something that's completely out of your warehouse to go watch. And um, CJ said his, and I've, I've we've spoken about this over beers a few times, but was that his favorite session of all time was one about um, the Xbox service and how they had to scale it and architect it to handle the amount of load for the live, Xbox Live, I guess it's what it's called. Um, and, and it was just this random session that he went and saw and said it was like just so good in terms of the detail and the decisions they had to make along the way. So yeah, that kind of inspired me the other day. I was like, no, we should really go f- talk to some of the exchange folks that are, you know, they're literally in the neighborhood <laughs> next to me at the same level in the building. And they always look really busy because this project is, you know, it's like a two-year project they're having to go through. Yeah, to that remind, I can't remember who I can attribute this quote to, but we're going to be updating the airplane while it's flying. So <laughs> that's, that's exchange, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So sometimes people, I, I think, you know, just does the graph, but there's a lot of other things that her PM team owns that uh, we get, I get insight into, which is actually really cool to keep me right. keep me fresh. Well, any of that insights that we can expose would be great. I, for one, would yeah, love to let me go hear that. So find someone that's willing to to be uh, grilled. And then um, this week we had um, Darren on, and Darren is. It turns out now is in my organization as well under Perry Clark, who's the CVP of M365 Core. Perry owns, uh, moving forward, the the assistance strategy within Microsoft. And so Lily Cheng's organization, which um, was over in the Azure world, interestingly, um, is the Azure bot service and um, the bot framework and these things called virtual assistants, which is what we're going to talk about in this show. So there's a bunch of people we're getting on in the next few weeks in Lily's org to find out about the bot framework and bots and the strategy that it has with Azure. And Darren, it's super interesting how deep he goes in here. And uh, as you'll hear, there was a lot of this I was using at Build and feedback that we'd I'd provided like on the run-up to Build and post-Build, they've actually really jumped on and got going. So it's a great episode from Darren. Um who's based in London, and um, we've got some good shows coming up too, right? Like, you've got a few in the... Yep, yeah, I recorded a couple uh, when I was in Redmond last week. We'll line those up, and then, um, uh, so obviously with the Ignite uh, conference coming up, as we just talked about, we uh, certainly try to find things. So one more time, if you're a listener and you have a topic you are interested in or think would be relevant, let us know. We'll try to track someone down. Yeah, either at Jay Thake or at Paul Schaefline or at M365Dev podcast on twitter we'll respond to all of those or or find jeremy in the exhibit hall or the conference center because you know it's just a small little gathering yeah it'd be easy to find (laughs) i will be on the booth with some swag if anyone wants to come say hello you wearing the giraffe suit Uh, i'm sure someone will try and convince me that it's a smart thing daryl's shameless daryl wear it in a heartbeat I'm not quite so shameless. <laughs> uh, have a good time. That sounds like it's going to be great. And uh, look forward to chatting next week. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Hi, Darren. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How How's London treating you these days? Uh, it's very good. Uh, weather's pretty similar to Seattle, so it's a bit rainy and windy, but uh, it is that time of year. Uh, and you're, you, you work for us, or you work for Microsoft 
um, out of the, is it the Reading office you work out of or? Yeah, notionally. So yeah, I'm based out of the UK, part of the bot framework you know, engineering team. I'm one of the rare ones that is not in Seattle, apart from when I travel there pretty regularly. Uh, so um, actually um, sort of based out of the London office, but I, I rarely go there. I'm typically working at home or traveling and meeting with customers. Yeah, that's awesome. And so we've had Yohai on the show before. Yohai and I worked together when I was in Azure Functions and he was over there with app servers and so forth. And so he works with uh, Lily as well. You're all in the same team or the same org? How does that all work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so Yohai um, is over on the SDK and the tooling side. So helping drive the SDK and some of our investments into tools like Composer uh, and same overall team. So uh, I run the solutions team, which uh, really came from a, the, the, the background that I had from the consulting organization where we were building bots for customers very, very early. And there's a bunch of best practice and learnings and sharp edges that we found along the way. And what we've done is bring that into the engineering team and really pushing on making building um, uh, bots or you know, assistant experiences far easier and actually building additional layers and templates to uh, help uh, some of our biggest customers be really successful. That's awesome. And so one of those solutions um, is the the virtual assistant. And I just want to say thank you for all of your help um, pre-build and post-build actually on um, working with you to get those demos going to kind of showcase some of the work that like ties together graph um, with this assistant, for those of you that aren't aware, what what is the the, vir- the virtual assistant that you've shipped as a solution here? Yeah, so um, we kind of started on this journey about this sort of time last year, actually. Uh, actually, at, at Ignite last year, we we did a first kind of rev on something called the virtual assistant and the enterprise template. And the enterprise template, which is now called the virtual assistant template, um, and we, and we we updated that at a uh, build was um, delivering a you know, working bot solution out of the box that had a, um, a number of core capabilities that every developer was having to build. If we take a couple of simple examples, um, one would be you know, every time you create a bot, you create your, your Visual Studio project. And the first thing you have to do is go and build a Lewis model to actually understand some basic things that every bot needs to do. You need to understand greetings. You need to understand when the user is saying, is confirming yes, which might be yes, yep, sure, go ahead. Um, so having a Lewis model with these utility intents uh, is really important. And of course, we expected every customer to go and build those Lewis models. And they would to varying degrees degrees of depth and, and kind of complexity. Um, and of course, multi-languages are important. So having those utilities in English and French and German and Italian and uh, all of those good things. So having out-of-the-box Lewis models, um, really helpful. It helps you then focus on building your experience. Uh, then there are some a number of best practices, things like introduce, the first time you use the bot is having an introduction card, explains what you can do and guides the user into a successful first interaction, which is, which is really important. Um, another one is managing um, responses from the bot. Um, any, any messages going back from the bot to the user, they need to be written down somehow. You need to have multiple language variations quite often. You want them to be dynamic and, and flexible. And there are other components that you really should be adding in to all the experiences, things like Q&A Maker. So Q&A Maker lets you build out a, a sort of a set of knowledge 
related to your experience. So it can be common questions that people have. So they're kind of static questions and answers. And Q&A Maker is a great way of democratizing that. You can give it to a non-technical user and they can go ahead and populate that. But it also provides personality. So this is the ability to um, have a, like a, a personality data set, we call it, with all the answers to who made you, how old are you, what's your name, all of that general stuff that people end up asking. We bootstrap you know, all of that work as well. And we also provide a few example dialogues to get you started, you know, things like the getting started experience, you're handing off to a human, uh, asking for help, uh, authentication, you know, signing in and, and getting a token to go and call graph, you know, getting all of those uh, elements working. So the virtual assistant template, you know, gives you that source code project, you know, out of the gate. And we have this in um, C Sharp and, and TypeScript. And at the same time, I, I've spoken about a number of capabilities that result in about eight or nine Azure resources. You need to create a Cosmos DB and a web app and deploy these things and take the Lewis files. And it's a fair amount of stuff you need to know to get up and running with bringing all these components together. So again, we've completely automated that. We have you know, a PowerShell script that of course can be executed across platform that will create the Azure resources for you, deploy Lewis models, deploy your Q&A, configure the dispatcher, set up any authentication work for you. So in about eight or nine minutes, you actually have a working assistant right out of the box. It does a bunch of stuff for you and then lets you focus on, on writing your own experience. And we started out with the enterprise template um, this sort of time last year. And um, we had the virtual assistant as a as a separate thing, which um, we can kind of go more into. And then at Build, we kind of evolved and actually brought these things together um, into the uh, the virtual assistant templates. So it's all around trying to enable uh, uh, people to raise the bar of their conversation experiences and just get started a lot quicker. And we'll continue to innovate with that. And and so with, with all that, and I feel like well, that's a great show, let's cut there and stop. That's <laughs> <of> information. <laughs> But just to kind of roll back on the the term bot, um, you know, I asked you hi this as well. And we've asked other people that have kind of talked to on the show about bots. But with this particular thing, like under the covers, this is using the bot framework. Is this bot uh, something I can plug into Cortana and talk to or plug into teams and have a text conversation with like what are the options for how i can interact with this particular bot so uh, great question so yes um uh, when you create a virtual assistant project we're just we're just layering on top of the bot framework so we're, we're building a bot in the same way anybody else would do but we're you know, going one step further so um Yes, it absolutely plugs into the Azure bot service, which then gives us these channels. So the ability to take your, your bot that you've created um, through whichever route, and then connect that and surface that bot to wherever your end users are. So we have a broad range of channels. So Teams is one, web chat embedded in your own web page is another, Facebook Messenger, uh, WeChat, Line, Telegram, Slack. There's a broad range of channels where you just wire those channels up 
in configuration and then people on those platforms can go ahead and uh, talk to your uh, assistant and we actually have a few um, uh, actually community adapters at this time and we're exploring uh, how we can take those um, kind of forward into the main product for Google Assistant and Alexa so again that same exp- that same conversation experience can show up in all of these different places and you as a developer don't have to worry about how do I get messages to show up in Slack or Facebook versus web chat. We do that kind of work for you. You send messages and you get messages uh, and away you go. And a core part of what makes a lot of this work, which the virtual assistant template also brings into play is adaptive cards. So this is the ability to design UX. So this could be a card with buttons and images and um, kind of different column separators and text and so on, and have those render on those different channels uh, subject to their capabilities. If it's SMS, you can't render images and cards on that. So we will have to kind of down kind of render. But on the um, more capable platforms, and those cards will show up. And one of the interesting scenarios that we've been kind of pushing on in the last year has been devices. So the ability to integrate your conversation experience uh, into a device, uh, like a car with BMW at Build, we showed um, uh, a, a, an assistant built on the virtual assistant template working inside of a car with speech and uh, rendering cards inside of a car infotainment system. So we've got a lot of options around um, how uh, people can access um, a bot. So text is by far the most dominant uh, kind of channel, but we're now seeing with, again, things we announced at um, Build and we've continued to iterate on that is uh, if you create a bot using the virtual assistant, right out of the box, it works with speech really well. You connect up the speech channel and then suddenly you can talk uh, to your to your bot without any extra coding and you can configure your own voices. So it's we've come a long way in the in the last year. And so, you know, where did I, I this seems to be kind of like the ultimate in next, next, next wizards to get you to a baseline for building a bot that can do a lot across a lot of these different channels. But where is the demand coming from that you went away and did this? Is it like in in the graph world, we have obviously partner ISVs we talk to that want to build on top of our platform um, to sell things that make our platform even better and benefit the customer's productivity. But then we also work with like internal enterprise development shops that are building business solutions that are specific to that customer that would never make sense to be an ISV solution. Where do you see the demand for this particular um, solution coming from? Yeah, so the a lot of what kind of you know um, drove um, the virtual assistant strategy, and there's kind of a, there are two parts of it. You know, one originally was we want to make it easier to create a high quality experience, and we don't want people to have to be experts because it's new and there aren't that many experts. So we wanted to make it you know, much, much easier. And at the same time, we've had a, we had a lot of very direct feedback from customers and partners around the world saying, Cortana is great, Google Assistant, Alexa is great. Um, but you know what? 
we want our own voice. We want our own personality. We want our own uh, data as part of that. Um, any data that's uh, collected, any telemetry data that's collected as part of that, you know, they wanted to kind of own that. So these kind of um, branded other people's assistants weren't meeting the requirements and expectations of a lot of customers. They wanted to control everything. They wanted it to be their own, which makes total sense if you're creating a, a device or a product or or it's an extension of a service that you have, it should really reflect um, your, your personality. And I think a great example, um, just using you know, Bot Framework, and they started this a couple of years ago, would be uh, Progressive in the US. They have their Flowbot, which really channels the personality they have on TV and advertising in the US. They really made it their own. And the same was with a lot of these car companies and device manufacturers. They want it you know, to be everything about them. And of course, off-the-shelf assistants like Cortana, you couldn't change the voice and the name. And then they were looking at our stack and going, well, you've got all the pieces, you've got all these cognitive services, you know, spread around and all these is your capabilities. You know, if you kind of squint and you kind of know a fair amount about it, if you bring them together, you you can build your own assistant. Um, but of course, as you bring all these things together, you realize maybe they don't quite connect correctly, or it requires a bit more code or a bit more you know, headaches as you bring it together. Uh, and that's really where we said, actually, people want to build more complex experiences, and we need to step up and bring all these things together, You know, drive investments into the product to make it easier. And that's exactly what we've been doing. And we're now seeing... Um, if you think about popular scenarios, devices, there's a number of organizations building devices, be them small speakers in the home or the workplace or big cars and everything in between um, and putting this voice enabled uh, experience uh, onto that device. The other scenario, which is probably the most dominant scenario all up, is enterprises, so organizations looking to um, do two things mainly, employee productivity, have an employee assistant. So you can just go ahead and ask a question about updating your address on your HR record uh, or finding out about your pay slip or asking a question to HR or raising an IT ticket. All those things that are really quite painful inside an organization is can you have an assistant, you can go and ask those questions and get them resolved. So that's a really popular scenario. And again, they want it, they want it to to brand it themselves and have it as their own experience. The other one's customer support. So customers of those organizations, um, instead of phoning call centers, which typically and increasingly we don't really want to do because it takes too long, is the ability to uh, speak to a, an assistant and experience and actually ask um, uh, ask a question around a, a problem that you're having and get an answer from a kind of a broader knowledge base. And a key thing that's came, that came out of a lot of those experiences, um, something it's often called like the parent-child kind of bot pattern, where you, if you have a simple bot, you, it's great. Yeah, but it very quickly becomes a monolithic architecture, you end up with this big bot that all these different parts of your company want to make changes to. So one of the things that we've driven um, kind of early on and now into the SDK is the skills capability. So that's the ability to build your assistant experience um, and then plug in these skills. Now, these mini bots, as it were, that you plug in can be from your organization. So your HR team and your IT team can do their own thing and plug in. 
But also in time, you could start to have these third party capabilities where maybe it's um, you've got you know food ordering or retailers, for example. And if it makes sense to plug these skills in, then you can extend what your uh, assistant can do. Uh, so again, that skill capability was another key thing that came up that people wanted to have reusable blocks or at least uh, separated blocks inside their organization. Yeah, I liked the the aspect that it was so componentized that you could just kind of activate them. And I know like that's how I got involved in this for build uh, um, this year in May was the the different calendaring skills that you could light up that obviously under the cover covers was using graph and we got a lot of feedback from developers that you know there's definitely an audience that want to know about the graph from the perspective of a bot and these skills basically handle all the auth card um to get the token to call the graph and you know you can take the existing skill and then you know choose how you will to call the graph in other ways which is really neat and i think you know if there's people listening that are looking to tap into m365 data in any way whether it's calendaring or maybe it's sending mails or creating tasks this is a really neat way of seeing how that could be implemented with this kind of skills architecture yeah and and really the the top of the list um that we had uh, especially for the automotive scenarios to start with and now the enterprises was productivity now we are a productivity company so we should have a point of view so actually um i forgot to mention before you know everything we've done with virtual assistant is all on github it's all open source like the framework and actually as part of that we've been pushing on a number of skills and at a build we we dropped some kind of further iteration so calendar email and to do uh, which work against um, the graph apis and as part of that like you said you can see what meetings you've got um, today you can move your four o'clock to five o'clock you can send emails add to do's all the things that you would expect and we have language models that we've built out uh, so high quality Lewis models we've built out they work in multiple languages which is really key for most customers and it's not just in english and that was another blocker we had with with assistant technology um kind of previously and actually one of the things i'm really excited um, for us to show at build is probably the number one problem in every company including microsoft and i'm really excited about this is meeting room booking so actually um the places api um capability that was released a few months back actually enables us to you know uh, better uh, have a go at the uh, i want to find a meeting room right now and if we know that my physical um, gps coordinates which you probably do on a device we can do a search across all the meeting room data to find meeting rooms near you. We could, of course, ask you which which building and tell you which floor there is a free meeting room and, and build it. So there's another example of, you know, we're... That would save about pushing. 15 minutes of my time every time I try to book an in-person <laughs> meeting on campus. Exactly, exactly. So we're all like super excited. So we'll, we'll definitely yeah, push on that at, um, at build. And actually by us really pushing on these experiences, um, it helps make, of course, you know, my team's work. We help make the product better because we go through like the SDK and Lewis and go, how how are we supposed to solve this problem? This is not this is not the normal kind of path that people look at it. So again, it helps us work through those and drive improvements uh, in the product as we go. And there's some new dialogue types coming in the bot framework, adaptive dialogues um, that. Um, was in preview at uh, build and will GA um, hopefully kind of next year. 
and and this allows us to be more sophisticated with conversations. I think the the biggest bit of feedback we probably have from from time to time is you can build these dialogues and it will ask you a bunch of questions unless you give it all the data and it won't ask you any and it will just go and do the job. But things where humans tend to be quite complex with, with language. So if you're halfway through booking a meeting, you might go, oh, actually add Jeremy. I forgot to add Jeremy. And with some of the improvements we're bringing, you'll be able to go back, even if it's asking you where you want to meet the location, you can say, hey, add Jeremy. And it will be intelligent enough to jump back, add Jeremy, and then go back to where it was. And you can do forward filling. So much more natural. And again, by us doing this work and working with customers, we kind of can be one step ahead of looking about how do we address some of these things. Yeah, because I personally, you know, there is definitely cases where voice assistance is super useful. Um, in terms of in the home for turning on lights, turning off lights and playing music and reminding me or setting timers <laughs> in the commercial mode. I kind of struggled with the bots we've had internally to date where I find just going to the website and putting my time off is quicker than trying to talk to a bot and try and work out the flow it's trying to force me down. So those kind of things will be super useful if you know if there isn't some forced flow of a series of questions it wants to ask in a certain way that you have to kind of respond to keep that bot going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, some, some good things coming there. Of course, by doing that, it will increase um, some complexity because you have to have uh, language models that will support each of the prompts. And again, we're working on tooling and things to kind of help that. So we're we're definitely not standing still. There's a, there's a bunch of things we um, kind of have on our backlog. And yeah, it's worth kind of highlighting again, you know, on the bot framework and the work we do on Virtual Assistant. It's all on GitHub. We work completely in the open. So all all of our backlog, all of the bugs, um, what little bugs there are, um, are all up there that you can go in and we we triage and kind of run those um, uh, kind of daily. So um, we're always willing to take um, yeah, feedback and also pull requests. You know, I can't encourage kind of people enough as they start using some of these things and go, actually, I've got a really cool idea. Um, I'd like to extend it. I'd like to um, kind of you know, help improve that. Yes, you can raise bugs. We can put things on backlog and we'll, we'll get to it when we can. But it is, is community. And I think um, it can seem, I've spoken to a number of you know, people outside of Microsoft and I totally get that it, it can seem daunting that, yeah, you know, why would Microsoft take my contribution? And um, we are more than happy. So, um, you know, you engage with us through GitHub, you know, you can submit some ideas and we can help kind of point people in the right direction and more than willing to take um, kind of ideas and contributions from the, the broader community. And and one of the things what I learned at Build was is obviously this is a bunch of building blocks on the your desktop machine when you're pulling down into Visual Studio and, and running these things. But there's obviously a lot of Azure resources as you mentioned earlier in the interview. And one of the things I found was is like by default, it kind of gave me the kitchen sink of things, but I wasn't necessarily using it all for the part of the bot that I was building. And so have, has that progressed anywhere I can kind of pick and choose? Like I know, for instance, the Azure search instance obviously is, can be probably the most expensive component of that bot to run if it, for a developer in a developer environment. 
Yeah, and your feedback at the time was was was, um, was great, and we've we've definitely made some kind of investments there. So you're obviously right. There's a, there's a bunch of components. You know, there's your app service, um, Cosmos DB. Um, you need somewhere to put state for your for your your bot. Your bot is um, like a web service. It's you call it, it pulls state out and executes and puts state in, so it remembers you for next time. Um, then Q and A Maker, we use um, another app service and. Uh, as your search to allow you to pull back the personality information some of that broader knowledge um, Lewis uh, is obviously used and and so on so as part of deployment um, what we wanted to do is make sure it just worked out of the box and actually we started off with um, almost all of those services have free instances and um, so therefore you can create it and not get charged which is which is awesome for um, uh, for developers and people experimenting um, but one of the challenges we ran into that then lots of people reported the deployment scripts weren't working is because you can only have one or two or three or four or whatever. It depends on the service, um, a limited number of those free instances. So people are, are playing a lot with a lot of different things. So more often than not, some of those services you've, you've already got deployed and you can have another free one. And the error messages can be a kind of a bit confusing. So there was that kind of aspect. So we then walked a line to start with of going, well, let's pick the, the the lowest tiers that are not going to run into those. So you get a guaranteed deployment. Um, then there are some other things that unfortunately I've seen happen in more so in my kind of uh, kind of prior roles where we made, um, you can have something called memory storage, which means the bot is kept in memory. And when you recycle your app, it will get cleared out, which is totally fine for development. Uh, for a live service with multiple servers um, and traffic being low balanced, that's going to get very weird very quickly where um, messages get routed to, to other machines. So again, there's that tension between we could put memory storage on by default. Um, and it then may accidentally, especially if it's hidden away in config and so on, uh, you may then get that deployed, and you know it doesn't it doesn't work out too well. So we, so our deployment script does much the same. You know, out of the box, it's going to walk a line of the services that are going to reliably deploy. We've now got a bunch of extra documentation and kind of parameter overrides. So if you've got an existing Cosmos DB or an existing Azure Search, you can point at that and it will reuse it, which means you don't create yet another one if you've already got one created. So that, that really helps. You can turn things off as well. So you can say, look, Actually, it's dev. I don't want Cosmos DB. Uh, I'm going to use memory storage. And we've got a bit of documentation around the one line of code you change and away you go. So we've uh, pushed that right down. And we've also supplied an additional you know, parameter file where everything's turned to free. So we say, look, oh, everything we can make free is set to free. And we say, look, if you use this, you may get deployment errors because of the reasons I went through. But hey, this one will be as free as you can get. Uh, and therefore, it deploys without any of the um, uh, additional costs, that some, of the, some of which you ran into before. So we've done a lot more documentation around how the deployment scripts work, giving you all the steps if you really want to do it manually. Um, and again, some of the other things around the build time frame is, you know, making sure everything works on OSX, uh, on Macs. Uh, there were a few oddities around file path references. And I think we feel pretty good around the deployment area now. So that should certainly alleviate things. That's awesome. 
So whether I'm on a Windows machine or a Mac, I can kind of pull this, clone this repo down and get it running locally on those machines. Yes, I had to bite the bullet and get a Mac uh, and force myself to use it for like <laughs> half of my dev time uh, to uh, to actually make sure that... <laughs> to feel uh, the pain. Exactly. And then, uh, so which is which is part of what we, uh, most of the team, all the teams, certainly within Azure uh, and so on, we're all, um, have to support all the different SDKs and things, so... Yeah, that's great. I had a question from a customer the other day that was starting to build a bot, and my advice to them was to was to start with this um, this approach. Um, they had already explored just kind of going into Azure Portal and clicking on uh, creating an Azure bot service on its own, and you know, essentially under the covers for people who've been down that path already, kind of that maps to an app service under the hood, which essentially maps to a project in Visual Studio which will look not dissimilar to a, a, a .NET website, I guess, an ASP.NET website in terms of the code structures and so forth. But the problem that you hit there is, is that when you want to start bolting other things onto it, you're doing a lot of, um, I guess, framing yourself and um, building up a lot of plumbing to get other things like Lewis and so forth plugged in. Whereas with the approach of your solution, kind of that's all there for you to either turn on or off and the plumbing's kind of done for you. Is that kind of the way that you talk to customers now as they're building their new bots? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and you know, kind of going back to kind of the Azure kind of Microsoft ethos is, you know, meeting people wherever they are, whichever languages, devices and things that they're doing. Um, so we get feedback from, you know, some developers that, you know, TypeScript is the way to go, JavaScript, and they want Yeoman generators to create projects. So we support those. Uh, others, Visual Studio all the way or VS Code. Um, and actually, the, the other end of the curve is where they say, look, I don't want all this stuff. Give me an empty bot project and I'm going to go and do all that stuff. And I'm going to learn it and build it that way, which is totally fine. And exactly as you say, through the Azure portal, you have the empty and the echo bot templates, which kind of give you just the bare minimum. You just get an app service. You don't have to deploy Lewis and all the rest of it. But then, of course, as you say, you've got to add those things. Um, Whereas I think the more and looking at usage, we've had nearly 9,000 virtual assistants deployed deployed into Azure since built uh, back in May. Wow, that's great. And um, at about four or 5,000 skills kind of deployed. So we're seeing kind of um, the more I talk to customers and they're like, hey, we're using this virtual assistant thing. And I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> um, and actually, yes, they're definitely viewing that as, I can get this deployed. I can get up and running and show something literally in 10 minutes. And then I can focus on building some dialogues and show your management, you know, some, some, some progress. Now we get a couple of bits of feedback, which I think we've got um, a good, um, which I think we've, we're just about to address at, at Ignite. One is, this is really cool, but a lot of magic has just happened. Um, what's it done? How does it work? You know, why do I have this dispatch thing? And and if I want to change this, where do I change it? Um, so one of the things I actually finished last week in one of our branches in GitHub is a, a new documentation page that goes through everything that's in the VA template, um, explains why, and points exactly where it is and and to more detailed documentation where it's needed. Um, so it helps you, and there's two reasons for doing that. One is what's in this thing. The other one is if you want to take the Echo Bot and you're like, I really want multi-language support, and that's kind of tough to do. Um, 
where could um, I, I just want to lift that piece out. So we explain how we do it in, in this new docs and you can literally go in, click on the source code link and copy and paste that fragment in. If you want to add you know, uh, collecting feedback from the user about did this help them? Again, there's a fragment you can drop in. So we want to definitely help people explain what we've done on their behalf. But then secondly, allow someone just to come and pick and choose. They may go, you know what? I'm doing my own thing. I just want these three things. Yeah, help help me understand how you've done it and the reason you've done it that way and to let me do it myself. Yeah, um, it's always like a great reference architecture for things already there, right? Yeah. So so yeah, so that'll be part um in a couple of weeks at Ignite, we'll have you know an updated documentation site and that will be a um sort of a key part of that. And and certainly a longer term goal would be that we don't have N ways of starting because it's confusing and we do hear people want to start in different places what i'd love to get to conceptually and this is a bit of a tall ask given um, the different capabilities of physics and vs code and yeoman and the azure portal but it almost gets to a bit of a um a creation experience this is this is just thinking at this stage where you could have a bunch of components you could select the things that you want you hit create and you'd get some variation if you did everything you got va if you turned some things off because you didn't care around multi-language support then it would take that piece out so we're starting to think about how we could streamline this maybe further yeah and like from that demo perspective like the the one i did at build that i i still use with customers just to explain how easy this thing is to plug into your M365 data through the Microsoft Graph is that calendar skill. And the fact that, you know, once you've kind of run through the Visix template in Visual Studio and, you know, run the PowerShell script to set it up, which does all the provisioning into Azure, you know, the skill allows me to do things like um, bring forward my four o'clock appointment two hours or reschedule my interview on Monday to 1 p.m. And it works it out. Um, you know, like this whole, like, uh, accept the event sent by, you know, Bob Young and it'll go find the calendar invite in your calendar from Bob Young and accept it. So there's a bunch of really nice things that you've built the intents and the models for um, that just shows you that how easy it is to plug in um, and having that for kind of email skill and to do skill is great demos for people who listen to the show from an M365 perspective and like show the benefits if you're doing that via voice or, you know, just typing away in teams or, whatever kind of chat client you want to plug into through the Azure Bot service. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, with us having everything up on GitHub, you can dig into it, look at how we're using the graph. Um, And we've had some customers go, that's awesome. I want to build like a, you know, I'm building an appointment booking service or something. Yeah, I don't really want a calendar skill, but I want the ability to pull out some Lewis training data, pull out the graph code to create a meeting, for example, and do auth. And you can go in there, you can pull that, pull those pieces out and away you go. Um, and yeah, like you say, we're, we're adding a bunch, you know, we're rounding those experiences off. We're doing a lot of conversational design work with various teams at Microsoft um, to kind of round those experiences off and make them more natural uh, and, and intelligent so we'll we'll keep iterating and yeah it's all in all in github yeah and kudos to your team too like since build the documentation that you have right now on um the bot framework solutions like the github io is absolutely awesome like it, you've gone to the next level in terms of explaining all the skills and showing c sharp and the typescript examples creating your own custom skills so congrats on that because i know how hard that is from what we do with the graph 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, yes, it's great that you've kind of seen seen the improvement. I remember sitting on the floor at Build, uh, I think realizing there was some documentation we hadn't published and getting it up there. (laughs) So yeah, we've definitely come a long way, and actually there'll be a a step further again at Ignite as well. So um, yeah, that's perfect. And so what's the one web address to rule them all for this? Because I I got to this by github.com dot slash Microsoft slash AI. But is that your official URL as well? Yeah. So um, so the easiest place is uh, aka.ms forward slash virtual assistant, all one word. Uh, So that will get you straight to the GitHub repo. Uh, It has an overview. Again, some of this will will change and be streamlined uh, a bit more at Ignite. Uh, It explains the virtual assistant, explains the skill approach. And um, there's some great tutorials around how to get started, so how to create your experience, how to deploy it, how to enable speech, and uh, kind of get moving um, with it. And we actually, actually what's really new is we actually have an Android client as well, which you can build and put on your Android device. And it it, it uh, connects in speech and does all that speech stuff that you would you would expect. Um, we'll have wake words there in the not too distant future. So you can um, then uh, talk to your bot framework bot uh, assistant and uh, through through voice and get responses and authentication works and all those other good things. So um, Wow, that's neat. Yeah. I have to give that a whirl. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much. I really appreciate you jumping on um, to talk about this. I'm really excited to see kind of how you progress this more because even in the short time between Build and Ignite, this has come a long way. Um, I am 100% behind this whole thing that bots is kind of a future of how we'll interact. And um, I'm really excited to hear what people who are listening are doing. If you'd love to come on the show to talk about it, I, we'd, I'm sure everyone here who listens would like to hear those compelling scenarios of how you're plugging all this together to to get it working. Um, Darren, will you be at Ignite if people are at Ignite in a few weeks um, to have a chat? Yep, I'm there all week and we'll have a bunch of stuff to show. So I'll be, um, I'm delivering a session, I think it's on Thursday around what's new with the bot framework and we'll touch on some of these features. Uh, I'll be at the booth uh, a large part of the week and um, yeah, happy to meet and, and talk through things with people and yeah, happy to come on, come on again in the future. We've got a bunch more exciting things planned. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, look, thanks so much. And, um, you know, if people have got questions, what? how's the best way? Is it a GitHub issue on this GitHub repo? Is it Stack Overflow? Where do you engage with them? So, so, so both, actually. So Stack Overflow, um, if it's just questions, um, uh, we we maintain that. We monitor that along with the support team really closely. And then if you run into issues, um, yeah, GitHub, just raise an issue. And uh, we have a you know pretty good SLA there where we get back and kind of respond to those things. So, um, yeah, both of those work. Awesome. Well, look, have a good time. I will definitely catch up with you, Ignite. Come say hi. And um, I will look forward to having you on the show next time to see how far far along you've got in adding even more features to this uh, virtual assistant. Great. Look forward to it. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.